the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Well, coming up today in Sanistan, as we like to call our little bubble here where we try to keep things sane, one of the things that has been driving me crazy for years now is this thing we refer to as identity politics, where people expect all women to vote the same, all men to vote the same, all blacks to vote the same, all Hispanics to vote the same. The LGBTQRSTABC group, I'm not making fun, it's just that there are so many letters I cannot keep track anymore. And there's also a movement afoot to separate some of the letters, which is another story for another day, although we will get to it today. But people expect everyone to vote in monolithic groups, to think in monolithic terms, and to to align with people who look like them, act like them, are like them in all these different ways. I just don't think that's real. I hope it's not. I know I think for myself, I know I don't think the same as a lot of women, and I couldn't stand it when people like Hillary Clinton said, if you don't vote for women, you're you're a sexist, you're a misogynist. What? What? This kind of stuff really bothers me. So today's guest is going to explain why he left the liberal side, and you're going to be really interested to hear about his background and how differently he thinks from the way you might guess or assume that he would think, given his lifestyle, given his background, given his whole person. But this is the point. There are movements like Blexit and like Walk Away. And we're going to learn more about this growing trend toward screw you, I think, for myself. I love this trend. We're going to talk about it next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. As I said, identity politics drives me crazy, assuming that everyone votes in lockstep with people just like them. Someone who is proof that that is not the case is Brandon Strzok. He started the Walk Away campaign. Brandon, it's great to have you. Remind me what it was that triggered you to walk away and start this movement that has really grown. Well, I started Walk Away in May of 2018, and the reason why I started it is because I was a lifelong Democrat and a lifelong liberal who 
was a two-time Obama voter. I actually voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Uh, it's hard for me to say that without laughing because I do a lot of live speeches, and oftentimes that's usually the point where everyone starts booing. So I'm not you. I'm not, I was just waiting for you to start. No, booing I'm not going to boo you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if you did, I wouldn't blame you. Um, so so um, I voted for Hillary in 2016, and I was. Uh, it's so weird in retrospect. It's so weird because. I was actually just thinking about this the other day and it didn't all these years, even after I started walk away, it kind of didn't dawn on me until recently. I was thinking about how I used to be like the biggest fan of the apprentice. And I had forgotten that. <laughs> I had totally forgotten that. Like Donald Trump years. show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I, um, like I would never miss it. It was, I think it was always Thursday nights on NBC. I like, I was always, or money, maybe money, Sunday money, night. money. Yeah. Money. Was, <laughs> yeah and i like i always used to think like oh you know he seems like a cool guy i hope i meet donald trump at some point but i uh you know once he started running for president i i just bought right into everything that the media was telling me about him being uh, a racist and a bigot and a homophobe and dangerous and mentally unstable and but the other thing is that all of these media sources that i trusted like cnn msnbc the new york times etc Although they were maligning him and maligning his supporters and all this, they were also saying that he had like a 3% chance of winning and yeah. that she was going to win in a landslide. Yeah. So when she lost and he won, it, it just created a, this whirlwind, this avalanche, this earthquake of problems for me. Because I was like, how did the media that I trusted get this so wrong? And why would anybody vote for this man who's so terrible? And, you know, it just it really shook my whole world. And so I kind of went on a months long journey to try to understand the answers to those questions. And there is one specific moment which we can get into if you want to. But it's basically what happened is I just started researching how the media got it so wrong. And I started kind of talking to Trump supporters and getting to understand them better and the combination of various variables ended up opening my eyes and getting me to walk away from the Democratic Party and the ideology of liberalism. I think what's so fascinating about this is that you cared enough to ask the questions because so many people, including, I would say, Mrs. Hillary Clinton, just denied that this was a real election, that, you know, they pointed to Russian interference. It's the, there's no way this could have happened legitimately. And therefore, rather than asking those questions of how the media got it wrong, who Trump supporters are, et cetera. They just kind of went into this denial and this resistance movement. So what for you made it important for you to answer those questions for yourself? Isn't that something though, what you just said, isn't that something, isn't that something that sometimes we clearly have elections that are fraudulent and sometimes <laughs> we absolutely do not have elections. It's impossible. It can't happen. It can't it, be done. It's the isn't safest that? election, the most <laughs> honest election in the history of the world. Isn't that, isn't that, <laughs> or else it's just a complete illegitimacy and they're just right. four years apart. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and one is treasonous and one is yeah. uh, patriotic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, now I've forgotten your question. I'm sorry. My question was, what what was it about you and your life and your mindset that made you think maybe I should question this rather than I'm just going to join the resistance movement? 
Right. Well, honestly, my reason was not very altruistic. I would say it was pretty self-serving. I mean, what the reason why I went on this uh, journey of research was because uh, I was so miserable after Donald Trump got elected. I mean, it was it was bad. I mean, I was one of the really, really, really. I mean, it's hard to to gauge because I do feel like just about every liberal was like code orange alert you know but like (laughs) but i um i mean i literally called out to work for a couple of days after the election i was crying uh and then i spent about two weeks after the election um really really just like it with a pit in my stomach and i was scared and i was angry and i was confused and i got to the point after two weeks um where i I I thought I need to proactively do something about this. And and the reason why was just because I thought like this is no way to live and I don't want to spend the next 4 years of my life like this. I never in a million years thought that by researching this I would change my mind or that I would so radically shift from one position to another. I all all I wanted to accomplish was just to try, try to make myself feel a little bit better because I really believed that um that the people who voted for Trump were racist and anti-immigrant and you know wanted America to just be a, a white country and take people's rights away and so I, I really I bought into all of it and so if I could find out anything that would make me feel like maybe that wasn't as extreme of a case as I thought that it was something to just help myself feel a little bit better so I could get through the next four years. <laughs> and that, that was, that was the motivation to start this sort of journey of research, but it, it started to happen very quickly that I started to see that these big um, assumptions that I had and these beliefs that I had about Trump and his supporters and people on the other side one by one by one, they all started to kind of get you know knocked down like dominoes. Uh, that I started to realize that these were lies. This is amazing how open minded you were. Even even given, though. you don't think you were. I mean, well, the Mm-mm. fact is, you wanted you wanted to feel better. And so, yeah. tell me what your first bit of research was that that led you to knock down one of these assumptions. So the really pivotal moment was okay. Now again, it was about two weeks before I began asking questions and having conversations. And I started initially by reaching out to some high school classmates that I knew for sure voted for him and just trying to understand why. And in the conversations that I was having with them, what I was hearing were entirely policy-based decisions. And also that a lot of it was, a lot of them were people who had voted for Obama, at least voted for him once. And that they didn't feel like they that it was delivered what they were promised and and that the policies that obama enacted were devastating to a lot of communities especially manufacturing industrial communities things like that throughout the country and i thought and also a few of them talked to me about various scandals that i had never heard of before fast and furious things like that now you know the media carried water for Obama for eight years. And they even said that, you know, this was a scandal free presidency. Yeah. You know, he was like the most noble person who had ever held office. And that was another thing I believed. So when I started to, and it's amazing, it's amazing when 
there are at your, you know, of course, Google and, and big tech will hide and suppress any stories they don't want you to know, but they can't make it impossible for you to find out. If you want to find it, you can find these things. And right. so when I started to hear about these things, I looked some of them up and some of them, it took a lot of digging to get to. And even that became kind of eye opening to me. I was like, why did I have to try so hard to find this story? And this story is true. Like, I, you know, I'm finding multiple sources that verify what I've just been told. But why did I have to dig so hard to find that? And why doesn't the news talk about that? That's weird. But so that was already starting to happen. But the most pivotal moment happened in January of 2017. It would have been right around the time Trump was about to take office. I would estimate somewhere around January 17th, this happened of 2017. I posted on Facebook that I would never be able to understand how anyone could vote for a man who was capable of, of standing before a cheering crowd and mocking a reporter's disability. And that's when somebody who I had known since I was a little kid, she's always been a strong, a staunch Christian conservative, uh, reached out to me privately on Facebook. And she sent me a link to a YouTube video that was entitled debunking that Trump mocked the disabled reporter. And she just said to me, look, I'm not trying to start a fight with you. I'm not trying to have like a problem. I'm just asking, have you seen this? And when I read just the title of the video, I became incensed. You know, I was like, oh, God, this is more Fox News brainwashing, more right wing <laughs> propaganda. And then yeah. I got kind of exhilarated and I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch this so I can tell her how stupid she is for falling for it. <laughs> and so, so I watched the video and it was a compilation of footage, about five, six examples of Donald Trump throughout the years, even before he ran for president, doing that exact same voice and that exact same gesture as he did that day in one of his rallies in 2015 or 2016, when he was accused of mocking a reporter's disability. But the commonality in every single one of these instances was that this is a, a bit that Donald Trump has done for many years. Anytime he's imitating anybody who's flailing because they've been caught in a lie or doing something shady or doing something dishonest. It's this, this bit he does where he's like, Oh, you know, Oh, I'm, you know, I, I've been caught. Yeah. And in this one particular incident at one of his rallies, he was uh, imitating a New York, uh, might've been Washington post, Washington post or New York times reporter. Uh, who was backtracking and flailing because he'd been caught in a lie. And this reporter happened to be disabled. Um, and so what happened was, you know, CNN freeze framed Donald Trump in this position while he was flailing and then stuck a picture of this reporter up next to him. This reporter happens to have like a, a, a short arm that kind yeah. of stays in this position. Right. And so they made it appear that Donald Trump was mocking this reporter's disability, but that's not at all what happened. In fact, they went out of their way to manufacture that. And so it, it showed me really clearly that number one, Donald Trump did not mock that reporter's disability. And number two, once again, the media that I trusted went out of their way to manipulate and deceive to make me, their loyal audience, believe something terrible and sinister happened that didn't happen. And it really shook me. I mean, it really, really, really shook me because I thought to myself, 
Well, number one, I hate Donald Trump and I'm so all in at this point about hating him that like, I don't want to, I don't want to take a step back and admit that maybe he didn't do something terrible that I thought he did. And number two, um, I don't want to have to face that the media that I trust is is capable of doing something like this. But it, it, you know, I had to, it took me months and I, that really, so uh, that that particular video was living in your mind. I, I would imagine you tell me how often did you replay that video and look at it and think, OK, hold on, hold on. I got to This can't be right. I mean, it sounds to me like this was pivotal. Oh, it was very pivotal. So I watched that video three times in a row when I first saw it. And it was, I, I, I mean, I know it's funny, but like I almost had an out of body experience when it was happening. There was this like disconnect that because um, it's almost like I went into fight or flight mode sort of because it was like <laughs> my brain was like, oh, my God, I don't think he mocked that reporter's disability. But my heart was going, yeah, but we hate him. But we hate him. Yeah. But we hate him. And wow. I watched it three times in a row and I couldn't really grapple with or process what I was experiencing. And so I waited until the next day and watched it again for the fourth time. And that's when I was able to accept that he had not mocked that reporter's disability. But it's this caused so many more problems because I was so disturbed by it that I started sending that video to fellow liberals, friends, coworkers, and asking like, what do you make of this? What do you think about this? Right. And I was instantly kind of met with this wall of resistance and um, hostility and contempt. People being like, what? So you support Donald Trump now? So you're, <laughs> you're, you know, and I'm like, you're, no, you're not I, allowed to ask questions, are you? Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's what ultimately kind of, again, pushed me into this space of just researching privately on my own because I didn't feel like I had a, a safe space to be able to have these conversations. It's amazing. I can't wait to hear more about this story. Quick break. Brandon Strock is our guest. He walked away and he's gotten a lot of people to walk away with him after this. You know, so many of us are talking about inflation and baby formula shortages and gas prices and winter's going to be really cold and really expensive all over the world. And so you've got all this stuff on your plate. And sometimes you just, you think so much that your brain is just too busy. So take a breath with me. Ready? Let's take a deep breath. And let's think about precious metals because they are one of those standalone kind of investments that is real, that you can sink your teeth into, that you can touch and feel they are a great long-term play. And with so much Boy, uncertainty in the world right now with the war and with all of these changes in the markets, you want something that's going to be reliable. And that could be gold and silver. And when it comes to buying gold and silver, the only company I trust is Legacy Precious Metals. You can find them at LegacyPMInvestments.com and you should call them and you should do it soon. Remember 2008? People who invested in gold saw huge gains and other people lost their retirements. So this is something you want to consider as a long-term play. It's a good one. Legacy Precious Metals, I can't recommend them enough. Here's a phone number. Why don't you just call, talk to them, ask your questions, get the questions that you've been thinking about answered. So 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, talk to an IRA expert or download their free investor's guide. Yep, it's free at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. 
Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Brandon. So you have this pivotal moment with this video sent to you by a conservative Christian friend from your whole life. You start to ask questions about it. No one else seems to want to discuss this with you. They're all just you're what are you now a Trump supporter? What evolved from there? How did you progress? Well, so um, I started, I fell down kind of a rabbit hole at that point where, you know, like you said, I was, I I didn't feel like I was safe having these conversations with friends and fellow liberals. So I spent, I'd say about the next three months, like compulsively watching videos and reading stories and it, bit by bit, this is, this was something where it was just chipped away at, chipped away at a, like a little piece at a time, because even when I first started doing research and watching videos and reading, there were things I was not willing to to look at like I was not willing at first to look at Tucker Carlson clips I was not willing to uh, listen to Ben Shapiro or some of these people because I had just such uh, an extreme resentment towards those people but as I kind of took in bit by bit by bit then what I became interested in also started branching out like the narratives that I had believed in like the wage gap and the Muslim ban and all of these different sort of like cultural hot button issues, um, uh, gun control, things like that. I started watching like PragerU videos, and then I finally started watching That's Tucker amazing. Carlson clips and debates. And what I started to really open my heart and my mind to was that I was like, you know, I was like, be honest with yourself here. Be really honest this makes sense to you, doesn't it? You know, I, I thought to myself, you know, what I'm hearing, this is more logical than what I actually have believed all of this time. And um, the final straw for me was in March of 2017 when Rachel Maddow got on Twitter and she started saying, I've got his tax returns. I've got his tax returns. Tune in tonight. Smoking. I remember gun. that. Yeah, I yeah. remember that. Yeah. And And I remember by that point, I was like this close to walking away from the Democratic Party and the liberal media and all this stuff that I believed my whole life. But something inside of me, it's like it flipped a switch. And I thought to myself, okay, if I tune in tonight and she's got some smoking gun about him being a fraud or a a scam artist or a bad guy, I was like, I'm going to just forget about everything I've learned so far and just jump back on the I hate Trump train and and just pretend like this didn't happen. I mean, I was still I wanted to sort of still be tethered to my (laughs) liberalism and my my adherence to the Democratic Party. And but of course, as you know, we all tuned in that or you probably didn't because you're smart. But like, I, you know, I for those of us who was curious, I tuned in stupid. Yeah, I, I tuned in and she 
she vamped for about 45 minutes yeah. just wasting time. And then in the final segment of her show, she produced two pieces of paper that showed that he paid his taxes in 2005 or something. And I, I literally, I picked up my remote control and I threw it at my television. <laughs> and this literally did happen. I was alone. I was in my bedroom by myself, but I still said out loud, I said, I am done. I'm so done with wow. these people. And that was wow. the, that, at that moment. I was like, I'm done with the Democratic Party. I'm done with the liberal media. I'm done with all of this. And um, and then it took about five, six more months before I finally came around to Trump and came around to the Republican Party. And that got us to about the beginning of 2018. And by the beginning of 2018, I was ready to just like shout from the hills that I how much I just my disdain for the Democratic Party. And that's when I created a six minute video kind of detailing all of the reasons why I was walking away from liberalism, the Democratic Party. And in May of 2018, I created a face gr Facebook group called hashtag walkaway campaign. And I put my video out and I just said to people, if you're feeling the way I'm feeling, and I know a lot of you are, let's create this community where people can come together and share their stories of how we've been lied to and betrayed and exploited and manipulated. And what I said is, um, if you're a minority, like, I get it. You know, I'm a gay man, but I know that if you're black or brown or LGBT or a, a, a religious minority or an immigrant, uh, even more so than the straight white liberals, um, we're being lied to even more and we're being used and manipulated even more than those other groups are. So I just said, let's come together and let's tell our stories. And within a matter of weeks we had tens of thousands of people joining and just an unbelievable amount of videos and written testimonials. <clears throat> and then by by 2020, we had reached over half a million. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's uh, I you you want to say you did all this because for selfish reasons where I find you to be that, to have taken an extraordinary step. And I do remember the first time I saw you on on the telly on television talking about the way you felt. And it, and I was no pun intended. I was struck by Brandon Struck. <laughs> Uh, I was, I was, I was, I was I, struck. I know I struck, struck. Uh, I, I, I really was impressed. And I thought that, you know, it takes some guts to come out there and say, I, I understand. And I accept that I feel I've been lied to and I'm going to act on that. And your movement has grown. And right now you've got a friend on trial who was involved in January 6th. And I know this is an important topic to you. Who is this friend? First of all, how do you know this person? His name is John Strand. Um, I've no <clears throat> I know him because he got involved in political activism several years ago. He, uh, uh, he's someone, <clears throat> excuse me. He's someone who was trying to sort of make it in the world of entertainment. He used to live in Hollywood and was in, um, acting and modeling and things like that. And then finally had to leave the industry because he just, from a political standpoint, he just couldn't be a part of that machinery anymore. And um, so particularly in 2020, when the government began mandating shutdowns, um, he was very outspoken uh, against mm -hmm. government shutdowns and mm -hmm. the government, um, well, let's just say narrative about COVID and uh, what we as a people were required to do. Um, and 
So, uh, but anyway, I, I've known him for several years, just kind of through activism circuits and things like that. And, um, and he got arrested for, he did, he was inside the Capitol on January 6th. Um, his trial literally began today. Uh, yesterday was jury selection. And right now he's in trial for day one. Uh, they're beginning to call witnesses and things like that. Um, I guess I will say just sticking to the facts as I know them and what he has said. Um, he was there as a bodyguard to Dr. Simone Gold, who was a scheduled speaker at the Capitol, just like I was a scheduled speaker for a permitted event that was supposed to be taking place on a stage outside of the Capitol. And um, that when that event got canceled, um, you know, there, there was, I don't want to use the word chaos, but there was confusion about what was going to happen next. And I know the story as it's been told is that uh, Dr. Simone Gold decided that she would just give her speech from the Capitol steps mm -hmm. instead of giving it on the stage uh, as we were originally supposed to do. And around the time they made their way to the steps, the doors on the east side of the Capitol were opened and uh, a crowd of people pushed forward and they were pushed inside and um, they were inside for about 45 minutes and um <clears throat> engaged in you know no violence no vandalism no destruction no theft he's not accused of or charged with any of those things he has four misdemeanor charges ranging from parading and picketing inside the capitol to um uh occupying uh restricted building um and then it's really hard to understand how they're picking and choosing this but they are seemingly randomly picking and choosing different people to apply a felony charge of obstruction of justice, which means uh, for those people, they're facing a, a felony charge of basically in interrupting or interfering with a congressional session. Uh, that charge carries 20 years in prison. Now, they didn't interrupt a congressional. I mean, they didn't go on the floors of Congress or anything like that. They were in the rotunda of the Capitol. But um, he's facing 24 years in prison for the 45 minutes that he stood in the rotunda. So, of the so what you're saying is he was in the rotunda and they are just kind of he's one of these people they've selected to face this felony charge of obstructing uh, uh, this hearing justice it, right it, uh, yeah. of, of obstructing justice okay D is he is he are they basing this on an interview with him that he's lied about this do you know what 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 could possibly be leading to that particular charge i have i can only give you my personal theory um and i think that we should we should probably leave it at that but it, my okay. theory my theory is that um this charge is being applied to people who don't accept their plea deal that they're being offered. He was offered a plea deal, just like I was offered a plea deal. I took the plea deal. And um, why did you take the plea deal? Because I didn't want to be facing 24 years in prison. Yeah. Um, they, they, it had been told to me that um, what was told to me by my lawyer was that the prosecution had told him that they had not yet charged me with obstruction of justice or as my attorney told me obstruction of congress <clears throat> um that they told him they could but so far they had chosen not to do that and that they were open and willing to drop charges against me uh if i accepted a misdemeanor plea deal 
And that's what I ultimately ended up doing. And so you accepted, uh, so you pled guilty to which misdemeanor then? What, what did they make you plead guilty to? I, I pled guilty to a single class B misdemeanor of disorderly conduct. Okay. Now to be clear for you and your audience, I never went inside the Capitol on January 6th. So you were outside. I was outside on the steps for eight minutes. And this is, and you still had to plead guilty to this misdemeanor. I was potentially facing three felony charges and one misdemeanor. And uh, so I took the misdemeanor plea deal uh, because it felt like the right choice for me. So in other words, it, it sounds to me like they were threatening you to, in other words, threatening to these other charges that you would face them if you didn't plead guilty to something that <laughs> this sounds really manipulative. I, I'm just sitting here. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. But if I'm sitting in your shoes, I take the plea deal too. I think most people would. And that's why most people are, um, it, you know, I, I don't know the exact breakdown, but I'd, I'd feel comfortable saying that more than 90% and probably significantly more than 90% of people charged with capital uh, January 6th, charges are taking plea deals i would guess it's actually probably more than 95 percent. and um there's over 900 people who've been charged so only a handful of people are choosing to go to trial and so far every person who's chosen to go to trial has been found guilty on all charges um my friend john is his the first official day of trial began today yesterday was jury selection um and i got um you know a good amount of intel about what the jury selection process was like and what was happening they interviewed somewhere around 75 potential jurors and i think it was more than 50 percent of the people that they interviewed were asked questions like do you believe that any that every person who's been charged on january 6th is guilty and people said yes So, so, and of course, um, so I know that you interviewed John Strand before he had to go into this whole thing and you did a live interview with him that was quite extensive. Why did he tell you that he chose to, to, to not take the plea deal? Why is he going through with what could potentially land him in prison for a couple decades? Yeah. Um, I, I, all I can tell you is that I think he's just one of the most brave and noble people that I know because the answer that he's given. um, So he and I got back in contact after I was sentenced in January of this year. So we've gotten very close this year because of this. I mean, we, this really kind of bonded us in in a lot of different ways because there's so many horrible pieces to it beyond just the, the, the legal, there's the media, there's the cancellations, there's the terrorism watch lists that we've been put on. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's really mind blowing what J six defendants are going through, but, um, you know, I've had many conversations with him over this year and he's just always maintained, um, I'm unwilling to bear false witness, uh, in any way, shape or form to facilitate this narrative that the government is trying to create. He says, I'm an innocent person. I did not do what they're accusing me of doing, and I will not contribute to the the narrative that's being created. See, now, one thing you'll tell you, and I want to make I want to preface this by saying that um, in no way, shape or form am I referencing my own case. I'm only speaking generally of cases, January 6th cases, not my own in these plea deals 
the government is writing a narrative that's called the statement of facts. And they're very long. Some of them are two, three pages long. And in these statement of facts, they state what each end of which what what each defendant was thinking, what motivated them, what uh, what their compulsions were, what their intentions were. You know, so it, it might say something like I comma John Doe comma went to D.C. on January 6th because I believed the election was stolen. I went there with the intention of disrupting Congress. Uh, when I went to the Capitol, uh, no, I went, I trespassed knowing that the grounds were restricted. And when I got to the Capitol, it was my intention to go inside. These are the, this is part of the plea deal that you're signing. That you're and, signing. Yeah, that people are signing. And so, and the alternative is to not sign it and to go to trial. So my point in telling you this is it's not just a matter of, okay, I'll take a misdemeanor and, you know, maybe I don't think I deserve the misdemeanor, but it's just the easier way to move forward. Um, it's that you are, in fact, contributing to the story that's being pushed forward by the government. And I think that that probably more than anything was something that he couldn't live with. And um, and and the other thing that he has said repeatedly is that they're going to keep doing this until somebody fights back. And so he, I think, is in a way becoming kind of a sacrificial lamb to fight back against this incredibly powerful machine that's crushing people. And he knows that there's a substantial chance he's going to be found guilty. He's not stupid. Um, he's already made his peace with the fact that he's probably going to prison. Um, but he wants the truth to be told. And, and I've said to him numerous times, I said, John, <laughs> our side is running away from these stories. The, the conservative mainstream media is not talking about January 6th. So I said, it's entirely possible that you're going to stand up and take this stance and, and, and sacrifice yourself and no one will ever even talk about it or say your name. And he said, I know that. But he said, I, this is what I feel that I have to do. And so how old is he? I don't know, but I would imagine he's around 30, 32. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah. he looks like a younger man. You know, he's, yeah. this is not a, a 60 year old guy who's no. lived a lot of his life. He's got a lot right. of life left to live, which if this is truly his, his, you know, he's putting his stake in the ground on this. It's, it is quite admirable. January 6th is a J six, as we now like to call it is a really divisive issue. And it seems like the division is, you know, if you're a panelist on the view, for instance, you think it was a day of that should be in the same vein as September 11th and Pearl Harbor. And it's a horrible day in our country. And I think many people say, sure, I'm on board with that. You were there and you did not go inside the building. How would you describe the way you see this debate over January 6th, the way that you see it, you know, primetime hearings and these videos that are, you know, the videos of the interior are disturbing to watch. And mm -hmm. and some of the vi the videos of the exterior are disturbing to watch. Yep. I I personally I don't put it on the same plane with September 11th or Pearl Harbor. I do not. But I I, I wonder how you how you view the whole kind of de debate about it. Um, I love this question. Uh, so thanks for asking it. Uh, so 
I, I guess I'd probably categorize myself uh, in the same group as you uh, to a large degree because I'm hearing the whole thing has gotten so crazy and so extreme on uh, people. People have kind of gravitated towards the extremes of the narrative. So if you're somebody on the left, you believe that it was, you know, an, a coordinated and well plotted and organized act of terrorism uh, that was, you know, engaged upon by Trump supporters that day at the Capitol. And if you're a lot of people on the right, you think Trump supporters didn't do anything wrong. That was Antifa or FBI operatives or, uh, you know, and people were just there to exercise their First Amendment rights. And OK, so this is my answer to that question. Number one, uh, just because I was there, I'm by no means an, an, an expert on January 6th. So this is the piece that I keep trying to get people to understand. And it gets lost a lot in this conversation. So many different things were happening at the same time. There wasn't just one January 6th. It's easy for people to think that because all you see when people talk about it are the images of people smashing windows and scaling walls and struggling with police officers and trying to force their way in. But there are four sides to the Capitol building. And there were thousands of people on all four sides. I was on the east side of the building. The the violence that you've seen, the people climbing the scaffolding and climbing the walls and struggling with police officers and breaking windows was happening on the west side of the building. On the complete opposite end of the building. Totally opposite end of the building. I didn't witness that at all. None of it. I didn't see that. I had no idea that was happening. And um, when I arrived at the Capitol, which was somewhere around 2.40 p.m., which, mind you, was a full 20 minutes after they had already cleared Congress. Now, I didn't know that at the time, but just for the sake of stating facts, Congress had already cleared 20 minutes before I arrived. When I arrived on the east side of the Capitol, the two large Columbus doors of the east side Capitol were already open. Both of them were wide open. There was a crowd of people outside. Some of them were trying to make their way in. Many of them, like myself, were just standing there filming. I stood there for eight minutes and I filmed. And then somebody came out of the building, got on a bullhorn and said, they've cleared Congress. Everyone left. Move out. Move out. And I immediately turned around and left. And then I uploaded my video. And that's what ultimately ended up getting me arrested two and a half weeks later. But what I believe is that there were a I believe it's very possible, I think even likely that there were absolutely people who were not conservatives and not conservative friendly who were there in the crowd agitating and moving things forward and encouraging a problem to happen. What makes but you I, believe that? Because um, the behavior that I've seen in videos and footage and even just some of the energy that I feel like I witnessed from what I did witness was unlike anything I've ever seen from a conservative group of people before. I have attended at least a dozen Trump rallies. I have attended dozens of conservative rallies from reopen America to, um, to uh, 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 any variety of causes, you know, of conservative outdoor rallies. I've never seen conservatives uh, show up to an event with an intention of being aggressive and breaking things and uh, storming a building. Now, a lot of people have also said that the crowd was, pretty well contained for the most part until police officers started throwing flashbangs into the crowd. I didn't witness that either, but 
I, I something got that crowd riled up, and then something encouraged that crowd to proceed forward, and and convinced a very small group of people. I mean, there were hundreds of thousands, if not at least a million people there, and we're talking about maybe a thousand people, maybe a little more than that, got the idea in their head that they were going to go inside. Um, I don't think that that's something that people had the idea in advance that they were going to do. And I don't think that it's, I think that the majority of people who made that decision didn't think that they were doing something that was egregiously illegal. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. my belief. And some people did. I mean, if you're sitting there with a, a, a metal bar in your hand, smashing through a window, yeah, yeah. you, you got to know something's not right about what you're doing. But, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think we can all acknowledge that. Yeah. This is such a contentious issue still. Um, let, let me, before I let you go, ask you about what's coming next, because for as many fans as there are of, of Donald Trump and what he achieved policy wise in his four years in the white house, I've talked to a number of, of conservatives who think I, they don't want him to run again because he is so divisive and because there is this ongoing, you know, sort of narrative, narrative, whatever you want to call it about you either love Trump or you hate Trump and there's no in between and the yada, 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 mm-hmm. and would rather see someone like, let's say, Ron DeSantis step in and run. Right. Where do you and your, you know, this movement of walk away, where do you stand at this point in time? We're well, two years out. Sure. I'll, I'll, um, I'll start with the, the last part first. So first of all, with walk away, we never, uh, encourage people. Uh, we never tell people what they should or shouldn't believe or who they should vote for. The whole point of walk away is to engage people to start, uh, to encourage people to start engaging in free thinking and, uh, you know, believe what you want to believe, do your own homework, do your own research. Right. Uh, we're there to support each other. So walk away is never going to say vote for this person, support this person. Gotcha. That's just so no endorsements. Okay. Nope. Um, and as far as where I stand personally, um, I don't think Donald Trump had a bigger cheerleader than me once I finally kind of had my conversion moment. Um, I do think, um, you know, without being uh, meaning to be immodest, but I, I think that I encouraged hundreds of thousands of people to vote for him who wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've been really let down. Uh, since I got arrested and my life has been torn apart. Um, I, I, I've really needed support. I don't mean financially. I just mean I've needed support and it hasn't been there. And, um, that, you know, that, that's a hard thing to move past and get over. And I, I look around and I see what's happening in the conservative movement. And, um, I see that the people who are a hundred percent all in for Trump, um, are getting a little close-minded about any other discussion and in and, and some cases even go on the attack uh, if the conversation becomes about other alternatives. Mm-hmm. And so it, it scares me and concerns me, you know, to see that, that type of division because, uh, look, I, I left the left because the left was telling me what I needed to think and what I needed to believe and how I needed to act and what I needed to say. And I'm never again going to be a part of a group or a community that behaves that way. I won't do it. And so if the, if, if I'm not saying it is, but if the MAGA movement ever goes in that direction, 
Um, you know, I'll still support any candidate that I believe is the best candidate, but I'm not going right. to be a part of a group that behaves that way. And um, do I think that we need to open our minds to other possibilities? Absolutely. And no matter what, I think yeah. that, I mean, it's, this should never be a cult of personality, even if nothing went wrong at all. Um, we should always keep our, our, our minds and hearts and options open. So. You are a fascinating human being and what you've gone through and what you've done. If people, you know, look, you say you don't need financial support, but you felt you needed support since you've been arrested. And that, that, that's hard to hear. I feel for you. I, I wonder what, if people want to support you after hearing this, what, what would you like them to do? Well, the number one thing I would like people to do is just really get engaged and, and actively involved in what I'm doing with walkaway. So, uh, the best way that people can do that, I would say is, uh, you can go to my website, brandonstrock.com. My last name is spelled S T R A K A. I encourage people to sign up for my email list. Uh, the reason why is because we're about to launch some really incredible things, including the, I, I mean, I have almost killed myself over the last year building with a, a development team, our own social media website, which we're going to be launching very soon. It's called walkaway social. Um, we are literally, I think, wow. we, yeah, we're this is, are you talking about, this is like a media platform, like a Twitter or something. Yeah, well, it's it's more like Facebook. But okay. It fun yeah, it functions almost identically to Facebook. And what will happen is people will come to Walkaway Social. They'll create a uh, profile. Once they've created a profile, they'll begin joining whatever groups they want to join. So we'll have uh, state groups in every state. We'll have a Walkaway testimonial group, uh, just like we did on Facebook. See, Facebook banned the Walkaway campaign in January of 2021 when we had 510,000 people and tens of thousands of video and written testimonials. So we have worked very hard to build this incredible platform. It's where we have safeguarded it at every level, working with politically like-minded uh, hosting and servers and tech development teams and everything else. It's I'm not kidding when I say I've had days where I've thought about jumping off a bridge. <laughs> don't uh, do it. Brandon, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. I can honestly say let's go, Brandon, about you and mean it. Thank you. It turns out it's really hard to build a social media platform, but we have done it. And um, so we're going to be launching that very, very soon. And we will finally have complete autonomy in, in rebuilding our community and re sort of igniting that uh, that viral movement of those videos and those those testimonial stories of people. And but this time it can't be taken away from us. So. So what I would encourage people to do is go to brandonstrock.com, S-T-R-A-K-A. Sign up for my email list, and so you'll be getting updates constantly about when we launch and how you can get involved. If people do want to support my legal defense fund, they can do that there at my website as well, brandonstrock.com. Right at the top, there's a button that says support my legal defense fund. Uh, this is not over. Um, I still have ongoing hearings. Um, I, <laughs> it's a whole nother matter, but because I pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge and because I'm a high profile conservative, I was included in a civil lawsuit in the case of Smith versus Trump. I'm one of three dozen people who are being sued by nine Capitol police officers who I've never met in my life. I didn't encounter them on January 6th, uh, but they're claiming conspiracy and assault and a number of other things. They're being heavily funded by a nonprofit DC law firm. Uh, so that, that lawsuit goes on and on. It's it's a real nightmare. 
But if people want to support I, that's how they can do it. The, I don't think a lot of people know about this, Brandon. I really don't think a lot of people know about this. I think that w- you have explained a really interesting sort of 30,000 foot view of January 6th, that there are four sides to the building right. and that you were on the complete opposite side of what we're seeing. And there, there's just a lot there that is either getting washed over or just not being told at all. And I'm, I'm a big uh, freedom of speech person. I am a big, big co- proponent of listening to all sides. And so I'm really happy to have had you on today. And it's it's Brandon Strzok, S-T-R-A-K-A dot com. I will tweet it out uh, on my Twitter account, which is at Michelle lowercase Tafoya, which you guys know, and at Sideline Sanity. We will tweet that out just so people have a way to follow up with you. And I, I hope to follow up with you. I'd, I'd like to continue love that. following your story and talking to you. You are a really, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that you say it was self-centered of you, that you wanted to sort of um, maybe have a way that your your views would be solidified by research. And yet you you did at some point, Brandon, open your mind to the notion that y- you ha- could embrace another another viewpoint. And I, right. I find that tremendously encouraging. So kudos to you. Again, it is walk away, hashtag walk away on Twitter. And we'll talk to you again, okay? Sounds great. Thank you so much. He is uh, an example of why I say be brave, do good, and check out Brandon Strzok S-T-R-A-K-A dot com. Well, Sideline Sanity, we are very proud to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals, and we're joined by Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. Charles, we are hearing now that this is not transitional inflation. This is not a bump in the road. This inflation is going to be here a while. What, what What does that tell you? You know, that's the scary thing. Um, I think, you know, economies and, and and such like that, they can deal with small jars. We have a unique situation. We had a Fed that waited much too long to react to the situation, calling inflation transitory for a year when everyone knew it wasn't. But more importantly than that, coming out now saying this is going to be here. This is long term. This is not short term. We're going to have elevated rates for the long term. And and why that gets really scary is that means the cost of doing business is going to be elevated for years, which means the cost of goods are going to be elevated for years, which means if companies can't make enough money, they will go out of business. This is why we we hear some of your bigger companies are already talking about layoffs. So it's a unique situation. The Fed found themselves in a very bad place. And they reacted way too slow. And this is why we're at where we're at. So if I'm an investor, then what's why do I want gold and silver in my portfolio? What what will that do for me? You know, that's a great question. And that's a question we get a lot. And and really what gold and silver do, um, they act as the hedge against the dollar weakness. They act as a hedge against the other markets. And we know that the Dow and, and all of your markets, all your indices are, are, are pulling back, right? That's not the issue. It's not what's already happened. It's what's yet to come. And that's where we, we need to prepare. So 
depending on who you listen to and, and the research that you do, you know, there are case studies of saying expect to see another 25, 20 to 25% pullback in your equities markets based on interest rates and loans and, and the bond markets they're suffering as well. No one's going out to buy bonds knowing that they're going to be um, an increased return on them in three months. It makes no sense. So that leaves you in a position of what to do with your money and how to protect yourself. This is where gold and silver come in. This is why we say this is a long-term play. You buy it, you forget about it, let it do its, its job. And its job is to go up over time as the dollar gets weaker, as the purchasing power gets less, gold and silver increase. It protects that purchasing power. And that's the great thing about it. And there's your bottom line and why you need to call Legacy Precious Metals or go download their investor's guide at LegacyPreciousMetals.com. Charles, it's always good to talk to you because these are nerve-wracking times for people. You know, it, it's just the fact of the matter is, as we were told by the, the Fed chair, there's going to be some pain. So if people know that they've got something solid sitting in their investment portfolio, I think they're going to feel a little bit better, right? Absolutely. And, and we, you know, when we look at the actions that have happened just recently, I mean, the Fed has taken a very unique stance and they've done something very um, extraordinary. Three quarters of a basis points raises months in a row. That's one of the largest raises you've ever seen in the Fed through the history of the Fed. And it's not just once. One time is shocking. Here we are on the third month now. And we'll probably do another half a half a basis point next month or, or later this month, possibly even three quarters of a point. So when you look at that and you say that number is going to grow to where the Fed interest rates will be about 5%, unheard of. That means the interest rate to you and I, if that's what banks pay to borrow money, we're going to see, you know, credit cards will probably be over 28, 30% again. You're going to see home loans coming in 9, 10, possibly even 11%. And it's it's a scary time. And this is why we say, okay, know that it's coming. Don't be afraid. You, you now are aware, so now you can protect yourself. And that's what we help people do. Don't be afraid. Prepare. Just prepare yourself. And like I say every day, I trust Legacy Precious Metals when it comes to investing in gold and silver. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles and his group can answer any and all of your questions. Charles, thank you so much. My pleasure as always. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.